The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Today, we want to talk about a major health care issue that's facing this country that the Supreme Court just heard arguments about, and that is the abortion issue. Whether choice or life is the right way to go. And people have dramatically different opinions about this. Some are based on their religion, their faith, others on the right of privacy and the liberty of women to control their own bodies, to make their own decisions as to whether or not they want to have a child or not after they have become pregnant. This is a very politicized issue, and today I want to talk about the specific issue. So many of us, and I will bet a good majority of the listening audience of this program and of this radio station are conservative in that they believe that the choice ought to be life and are not in favor of abortion. There are certain segments of this audience that are in favor of abortion because they believe in the right of the individual. The Supreme Court has weighed in on this issue in two major cases. The one that we all hear about and know about pretty readily is um, Roe versus Wade. That was a case that was decided many years ago that said women do have a right to abortions. There was another case that's uh, equally tied in, and for people who are close to this, it, people know about the case, uh, know the name of the case, uh, but most of the general public uh, probably doesn't, and that's a case uh, called Casey. And Casey um, set up some limits on when abortions can take place and when they can't. And there are very technical terms here that the court has tried to draw this fine line between the rights of the fetus, the unborn child, and the rights of the mother. And that case gets into some strange kind of language and rules that have not seemed to be very workable for many people. They talk about a viability standard. They talk about an undue burden. And so I want to get into understanding exactly what the issues are without trying to completely bias this. I have my own biases. I'm in favor of life. Um, I believe that our um, uh, uh, Declaration of Independence says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And life is the first mentioned in that list because it is the greatest, most important right. If we don't have life, then nothing else really matters. And it kind of reminds me of the biblical question of Jesus, of all of the um, commandments, which is the greatest. And his response was, uh, love the Lord and love your neighbors was second but equal. And so the very first things that are listed are usually the most important in the structure of any kind of guidelines or commandments or in our Bill of Rights is the freedom of speech and religion. And that is in the Bill of Rights. But before that, the rights were enumerated in the Declaration of Independence of Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. So that's the bias that I come to. But I want to have this discussion that is a presentation of facts. And that's what happens in a democracy. People can have differing opinions, but presenting a discussion and an argument around facts, 
not getting emotional about it, not tr- and trying not to be political about it, because that creates an emotional bias. I want to try to present those arguments today, because the Supreme Court just heard the case on the Mississippi abortion law that bans abortions um, uh, after 15 weeks. You cannot have it. Today, under Roe v. Wade and Casey, it's about 23 or 4 weeks based upon the standards that they set up on this viability standard and the undue burden standard. So I want to outline that, and I want to actually present some of the discussions because it's so interesting to hear the justices um, ask questions and respond to lawyers presenting the case on both sides. So I want to start in this segment by laying out, not from the Supreme Court justices' perspective or the lawyers' perspective that present before the Supreme Court, But I want to step back and sort of give more of a layman's overview so we can all understand where this discussion is really going and what it's all about. And there is a a good segment uh, by uh, Robert Barnes of the Washington Post that kind of lays out uh, the, uh, the discussion. So let me present that first to create a foundation. And I hope you all will listen and listening audience out there will follow along and try to understand with an open mind, regardless of which side you're on, to try to understand the opposite side so that you can better um, solidify your feelings, your arguments for whatever position you think is appropriate. But if we don't listen to each other, we'll never be able to come to a rational uh, conclusion as a society trying to self-govern ourselves and trying to understand how we best move forward because there is no exact right or wrong answer in many cases. It's a matter of understanding the other side, compromising, and trying to figure out what the right thing to do is from a number of perspectives. So with that, um, let's listen to uh, Robert Barnes kind of lay out the case for what's really going on uh, with this uh, Mississippi uh, abortion case. This is the biggest abortion case that the court has heard in decades. Uh, Since the last time it was asked to reconsider the precedent set in Roe v. Wade, which said that a woman had a constitutional right to an abortion. In that case, 1992, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, the court said that states do have an interest in restricting abortion and they have an interest in trying to preserve uh, unborn life, but that uh, a woman has a right to make a decision about abortion, that it can't, the states can't impose an undue burden on that woman's right uh, before the time of viability, meaning when the fetus could survive outside the womb. Originally, the uh, Mississippi uh, filing was along the lines of uh, the Supreme Court could uphold the Mississippi case and not shoot down or reverse uh, Roe v. Wade. Uh, But then something changed. After the filing, uh, they really are suggesting a complete overturn of Roe v. Wade. They've gotten a lot more aggressive uh, since the original filing. Is that true? They got a lot more aggressive, and I think we can only attribute that to a change in the makeup of the court. This case was filed at the Supreme Court while Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was still alive. She, of course, was probably the court's biggest defender of abortion rights and certainly would not be counted on to overturn Casey or Roe v. Wade. And so uh, the court kept this case around for a very long time. 
And after Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed, actually months after that, the court finally said that it was going to accept the case. And so you're right, Mississippi pitched it as you don't have to disturb Roe v. Wade to um, uphold our law. But afterwards, uh, when they filed their merits brief, said, yes, uh, you should get rid of Roe, you should get rid of Casey, you should return this issue to the states. So since Mississippi's argument originally was that the Mississippi law can be upheld and Roe v. Wade would not be overturned, so it could be a narrow decision that they were trying to get originally, and then they changed to say, in addition, we think that Roe v. Wade should be overturned. So uh, given that, what's their main argument for uh, the Mississippi law? Mississippi's argument is that Roe was wrongly decided 50 years ago, that Planned Parenthood v. Casey just reaffirmed uh, that wrongness, and also that it is proven unworkable. You know, the court every year is called upon practically to look at more uh, abortion restrictions to try to find out which one uh, is unconstitutional, which one meets the tests that was uh, provided in those cases. That Mississippi says that Planned Parenthood v. Casey said this should end, this is a compromise that should end the debate over this divisive issue, or at least we hope it will. And obviously that hasn't been true. And so Mississippi says it's an unworkable standard and the court should just get rid of it. So let me put this in layman's terms as best I understand it, and that is that the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade um, established a constitutional right for women to have an abortion. And there are many people, including the justices, said, well, where is this in the Constitution? There is no right to abortion in the Constitution. And if you don't have a right itemized in the Constitution that's very easy to identify as the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, or whatever it is, it's hard to pinpoint exactly where this right comes from rather than being made up by the Supreme Court. And then once you have the right, you have the competing rights between the fetus and the mother. And as a consequence, the court in Casey, as I understand it, tried to find this compromise of when you can have an abortion and when you can't, using these sort of vague terms of a viability standard, that is, when a fetus can exist outside the womb, it could be allowed to continue. And this undue burden that states who put restrictions on abortion cannot create an undue burden on the mother. Well, that's hard to identify and quantify. And so there's this unworkable compromise because the original decision uh, was a right that was granted that was nowhere to be found in the Constitution. So we have this mishmash of conflicting laws and regulations and continuation of many states trying to restrict abortions under the existing law, which makes no sense. So given all that, what's the, what's the proponent's of uh, Roe v. Wade's position, and what's their main argument? Well, they say that the court has provided a constitutional right to abortion that women have and men have come to depend upon for 50 years now, and that uh, the court has never taken back a constitutional right that it extended, and that there is no reason for the court to change anything that it's done. It 
defends this viability line, which is going to be a big issue in this case, saying that even with all the advances in medical technology and all the advances in science, the basic idea of viability when a fetus could survive outside the womb or not has not really changed in all that time, and that this is the only workable line uh, that the court could come up with. So I think Robert Barnes from the Washington Post does a good job of sort of laying out the case on both sides and where this argument is going to be, this battle is going to be fought in the Supreme Court. I would say that there is one more major issue that I want to talk about first in the next segment, and that is something called stare decisis. Stare decisis is that once the Supreme Court makes um, uh, uh, agrees with a constitutionality or a right or makes a determination, makes a judgment, that that should carry over into the future. And the Supreme Court shouldn't be flip-flopping, if you will, make a decision uh, in one period of time, in 10 years, 20 years, or five years later, whatever it is, reverse that decision. You have to have some consistency in Supreme Court rulings if it's to be recognized as a legitimate institution governing, helping to govern this country. So that's where I want to go next is be sure that we get through the arguments and understand what the Supreme Court would do around the issue of stare decisis. So I hope this is of interest to listeners out there. Stay with us in the next segment, and we will delve more into the rationality of the abortion discussion in this country. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearmliquidationservice at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Today we're talking about the recent Supreme Court arguments on the Mississippi law limiting um, uh, abortions to the first 15 weeks, and after that you cannot have an abortion, and I don't think there's any exceptions even in that law. So this is a hotly debated topic across the country, pro-life versus pro-choice, and in fact the words even identify how controversial it is. Notice that the other side says pro-choice, doesn't say pro-abortion, doesn't say anti-abortion, it says pro-life. And so words are important. The way you describe what it is you're for or against uh, is important, and that's what's happening uh, in this debate. Now, 
in this segment, I want to talk about this critical issue of whether or not Supreme Court can or should overturn a previous precedent, especially the Roe versus Wade, or Roe v. Wade is what we, uh, the term we all use, and that is that created a right for abortion to women in this country. Um, it doesn't seem to be in the Constitution, but the Supreme Court used the whole Constitution to presume that there is a right there, and the uh, pro-choice uh, you'll hear later on, will point to the word liberty in the Constitution, and it is the liberty, the right to liberty, that creates this uh, control uh, of a woman and her body. So I want to talk about this story decisis, which is the, I guess, the Latin term for precedent that's sitting there. So let's listen to Justice Breyer, who will likely vote against the Mississippi case, in trying to establish that when you are even thinking about overturning a previous precedent on a landmark case, a major case like Roe v. Wade, and these cases don't come up very often where you're overturning something, especially overturning a right that was found in the Constitution that some would have trouble saying it's even there, but the court did establish it. Can you take away a right? Um, And so whether precedent or a super precedent is the way the court should decide. Uh, Keep in mind, as justices are talking, they're not necessarily asking or responding to a lawyer who is presenting the case for one side or the other. They are typically talking to other justices and trying to convince them on how they should ultimately vote. So here's Justice Breyer's uh, thinking on the stare decisis and what it would take to overturn a major case like Roe v. Wade. Uh, When I read Casey, it's not just one-on-one. You know, two is greater than one. Casey plus Roe is greater than three. They're making a point that, that, that we're an institution perhaps more than a court of appeals or a district court. It's Hamilton's point. No purse. No sword. And uh, yet we have to have public support. And that comes primarily, says Casey. I wonder if it was O'Connor who wrote that. I don't know. But it comes primarily from people believing that. We do our job. We use reason. We don't look to just what's popular. And that's where you're seeing the paradox. But the problem with the super case, of which we've heard three mentioned, the problem with the super case like this, the rare case, the watershed case, where people are really opposed on both sides, and they really fight each other, is they're going to be ready to say, no, you're just political, you're just politicians. And that's what kills us as an American institution. That's what they're saying. So we're looking at it for that, but we are looking to, and that, they say, is a reason why. A reason why, when you get a case like that, you better be damn sure that the normal starry considerations, sorry, decisis, overruling, is really there in spades, double, triple, quadruple. So at least to me and to many people, this whole idea of can you overturn a precedent and 
And and what standards do you need? What's the the bar that has to be exceeded in order to overturn a major landmark case like Roe v. Wade with a case like this? Can you really re- overturn it and remove a right that the court had originally established in Roe v. Wade uh, that women have this right to abortion? Is there an alternative to that? Casey established some of the rules and guidelines around when you can restrict abortions and what uh, a woman's rights really were in terms of not having to have an undue burden placed on them with any restrictions. And this whole idea of the balance of the fetus being uh, viable, all that is uh, are good points and can be discussed, but only if you decide that you can't substantially change or overthrow Roe v. Wade. So now let's listen to the Chief Justice Roberts' comments talking back, basically, through the lawyers uh, to Justice Breyer on what Justice Breyer just presented as the need for a super uh, starry decisis uh, uh, consideration before you overthrow a major landmark case. Um, I found my colleague Justice Breyer's comments uh, quite compelling. Uh, I'm not quite sure how they play out uh, in in Casey. Um, it is certainly true that we cannot base our decisions on whether they're popular or not uh, with the people. Casey seemed to say uh, we shouldn't base our decisions not only on that, uh, but whether they're going to whether they're going to seem popular. Um, uh, it, and it seemed to me to have a paradoxical uh, conclusion that the more unpopular the decisions are, the firmer the court should be in not departing uh, from prior precedent. Um, it, it's sort of a superstarry decisis, but it's superstarry decisis for what are regarded as by many as the most erroneous decision. The next judge is um, Amy Barrett, who uh, weighs in on her question about uh, starry decisis and what it would take to overturn uh, a landmark case. And she refers uh, to uh, the Casey case, which seemed to particularly take into account in the write-up for that case, uh, public opinion and the reaction of public opinion. So let's listen to um, Amy Barrett. I have a question that is a little bit of a follow-up to one that Justice Breyer was asking you. That's about stare decisis, and I think a lot of the colloquy you've had with all of us has been about the benefits of stare decisis, which I don't think anyone disputes. And of course, no one can dispute because it's part of our stare decisis doctrine that it's not an inexorable command and that there are some circumstances in which overruling is possible. You know, we have Plessy, Brett Brown, we have Bowers versus Hardwick to Lawrence. Um, but in thinking about stare decisis, which is obviously the core of this case, how should we be thinking about it? I mean, Justice Breyer pointed out that in Casey, and in some respects, well, it was, a different conception of stare decisis insofar as it very explicitly took into account public reaction. Um, is that a factor that you accept? Or are you arguing that we should minimize that factor? And is there a different set of rules? It is true that Casey identified Brown and West Coast Hotel as watershed decisions, but is there a distinct set of stare decisis considerations applicable to what the court might decide as a watershed decision? So Justice Barrett hit the uh, nail on the head here, and let's listen to the uh, lawyer for the Mississippi side, 
uh, respond to whether or not there should be a a super sorry sorry decisive set of standards uh, to overrule Roe v. Wade? I don't think there should be a distinct set of app, uh, of, of considerations there, Your Honor. I, I think what I what I emphasize. Um, kind of legitimacy, the court looking outward. I, I, I think Casey was unusual in that regard. I think it was a mistake, and I think it's something that is uh, kind of in conflict with this uh, court's um, structure and approach as an independent branch looking to the Constitution rather than looking without. And I, I think that's one reason why traditionally the court is, is in some of its greatest overrulings, it's, it's not looking without. It's saying this was wrong. It was wrong the day it was decided. We know it's wrong today. And it's lo- led to all these terrible consequences. We should, get, we should get rid of it. One of the more interesting segments of the Supreme Court discussion is with one of the newer justices, Kavanaugh. And his discussion and his interpretation of stare decisis points out a whole list of cases where the court has, over time, rejected previous rulings. So stare decisis is not as solid as many people feel it is as once the decision is made, the court stands by it. He will list out a whole string of cases that the court has reversed. So let's listen to Justice Kavanaugh in this next segment and that kind of weakens the whole argument about stare decisis, which is what I wanted to present to the audience here as the core. If that is an issue uh, that you have to stand by precedent, that that's solid, then this case cannot move forward. And Roe v. Wade will be the law of the land forever in its form, along with the rulings that Casey provided in terms of the limitations of what can be placed on a woman. Uh, who decides to have an abortion. So here's the case presented uh, against stare decisis um, by Justice Kavanaugh. And uh, I want to ask a question about stare decisis uh, and to think uh, about how to approach that here, because there have been lots of questions picking up on Justice Barrett's questions and others. Um, And history helps think about stare decisis as I've looked at it and uh, the history of how the courts applied stare decisis. And when you really dig into it, um, history tells a somewhat different story, I think, than is sometimes assumed. If you think about some of the most important cases, the most consequential cases in this court's history, there's a string of them where the cases overruled precedent. Brown v. Board, uh, outlawed separate but equal. Uh, Baker v. Carr, which set the stage for one person, one vote. West Coast Hotel, which recognized the state's authority to regulate business. Miranda versus Arizona, which required police to give warnings about the right to remain silent and to have an attorney present to suspects in criminal custody. Lawrence v. Texas, which said that the state may not prohibit same-sex conduct. Knapp versus Ohio, which held that the exclusionary rule applies to state criminal prosecutions to exclude evidence obtained in violation of the Fourth Amendment. Gideon versus Wainwright, which guaranteed the right to counsel in criminal cases. Obergefell, which recognized the constitutional right to same-sex marriage. In each of those cases, and that's uh, a list, and I could go on, and those are some of the most consequential and important in the court's history, the court overruled uh, precedent. And um, it turns out, uh, if the court in those cases had 
had listened and they were presented in our, with arguments in those cases adhere to precedent in Brown v. Board, adhere to Plessy on West Coast Hotel, adhere to Atkins, and adhere to Lochner. And if the court had done that in those cases, uh, you know, this, the country would be a much different place. So these have been the justices' comments on stare decisis, which, as Justice Barrett said, is really the key to whether or not Roe v. Wade can or should be overturned. Well, let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk other, about other aspects of this critical decision that the Supreme Court is about to make. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearm liquidation service at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday 1 to 2 only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to this third segment of America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman again, and this is um, Healthcare Insight that you've tuned into. Today we're talking about one of the major health care issues, and that is uh, abortion. The Supreme Court recently heard a case uh, from Mississippi that limits abortions um, to the first 15 weeks, and you cannot have an abortion after that. So uh, the contrast of that with the current law under Roe v. Wade that recognizes the right of women to have an abortion, and then a subsequent quick case called Casey, that outlined um, uh, when a state can put some restrictions, but there is a test of what they call undue burden uh, cannot be placed on the uh, on the female. So as a consequence of all that, we are looking at very closely the pros and cons of this argument as presented to the Supreme Court. Now, one of the more interesting judges to listen to, who in the past asked zero questions, but now Justice Thomas is the senior justice, he's not the chief justice, that's Roberts, but Thomas is the longest-serving justice on the Supreme Court. And his questions are always, to me, very insightful, very targeted, and tries to get at the issue that otherwise other justices really don't tend to focus on. But they are really 
brilliantly placed questions uh, trying to elicit answers to solve uh, the case that's before them. Um, so I want to stop here and just focus on Justice Thomas in this segment so you can hear firsthand the brilliance of this man and how he tries to approach uh, his interpretation of the case. The general feeling is, the general judgment is that he is going to be in favor of the Mississippi law. So you can listen to his questions uh, in that light and recognize that he's trying to make a case to the other justices who have to sit there and listen to his questions, just like he listens to theirs. But this is the interaction, not so much for the presenting uh, lawyer, uh, but for him to try to lay out a case so the other justices have to think about an issue that he's bringing up. So here's uh, Justice Thomas in a very important question that he poses. Uh, counsel, um, I just have one question. I assume you, uh, from your brief, you're relying on uh, an autonomy theory. Both uh, bodily integrity and the ability to make decisions related to family, marriage, and childbearing, Your Honor. Um, Shortly, some years after we decided Casey, uh, we had a case out of South Carolina, I believe, involved a woman who had been convicted of criminal child neglect because she ingested cocaine during pregnancy. Uh, in her case was post-viability, so it doesn't fit in the facts of this case. If she had ingested cocaine pre-viability and had the same negative consequences to her child, do you think the state had an interest in enforcing that law against her? Now, in my mind, Justice Thomas is being brilliant and trying to approach the idea that isn't this viability line arbitrary and isn't the interest of the child both pre-viability and post-viability as might be determined uh, under Roe v. Wade and Casey. Uh, just an arbitrary number that, you know, is it is it just uh, as bad to abuse and kill a baby by ingesting cocaine before viability as it is after? And doesn't that show it's just an arbitrary line? So let's listen to the non-answer from uh, the lawyer uh, representing the opposition to the Mississippi case. The state may have, Your Honor, the state can certainly regulate to serve its interests in fetal life and in women's health. Those particular laws tend to undermine both of those interests because they deter women from seeking prenatal care, which is counterproductive to both their but health. the pre-viability as well as post-viability. No, Your Honor. The, the court has been clear that after viability, states can prohibit abortion except to save No, I mean, the, the in my example of criminal child neglect. I understand you. your argument is about abortion. I am trying to look at the issue of bodily autonomy and whether or not she has a right also to bodily autonomy in the case of ingesting uh, an illegal substance and causing harm to a pre-viability fetus. Your Honor, of course those issues aren't posed in this case. So without getting a clear answer to the hypothetical uh, case that Justice Thomas put forward, 
in the next round of questioning, he tries to hone in more specifically on the constitutional right within the Constitution that he doesn't see and ask the um, lawyer uh, to clarify and point out what is the constitutional right that we're talking about here. Um, if I, were, I know your interest here is in abortion. I understand that. But if I were to ask you what constitutional right protects the right to abortion, um, is it privacy? Is it autonomy? What would it be? It's liberty, Your Honor. It's the uh, textual protection in the 14th Amendment that a state can't deprive a person of liberty without due process of law. And the court has interpreted liberty to include the right to make family decisions and the right to physical autonomy, including the right to end a previability pregnancy. So here we clearly hear from the lawyer that the main case uh, for the constitutional right to an abortion is based in the 14th Amendment and the Liberty Clause. Of course, I would come back and say, okay, the original um, rights uh, espoused by our founding fathers were life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So life should come first over liberty if you're making that kind of a choice. But let's go back to Justice Thomas kind of pushing this point uh, a little further. Let's hear what he has to say and the response of the lawyer to that. So I understand what you're saying, but what I'm trying to focus on is if we is to lower the level of generality or at least be a little bit more specific. In the old days, we used to say it was a right to privacy that the court found in the uh, due process, substantive due process clause, okay? So, or in substantive due process. And I'm trying to get you to tell me what are we relying on now? Is it privacy? Is it autonomy? What is it? I think it continues to be liberty, and the right exists whatever level of generality the court applies. There was um, a tradition under the common law for centuries of women being able to end their pregnancies. But in addition, when it comes to decisions related to family, marriage, and childbearing, the court has done the analysis at a higher level of generality, and that makes sense because otherwise the Constitution would reinforce the historical discrimination against women. Well, it's clear in listening to the presentation that Justice Thomas is not satisfied with the explanation of liberty and some general interpretation that liberty means a right to abortion. So he keeps coming back to this issue because it is central in his mind to whether or not this is a constitutional issue or not, and whether the Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided at the beginning. So let's hear the next round of questions on this very same topic to try to nail it down uh, to try to convince the other justices that there is no such right to abortion or a right to um, uh, eliminate a pregnancy that's in the Constitution, even if you try to relate it to privacy or autonomy or some other generalized issue, that the right to abortion, he has not been able to get a clear answer as to where this is located in the Constitution under what section. So let's go back to the question again and listen to the brilliance of Justice Thomas. Would you specifically tell me, uh, uh, specifically uh, state what the right is? Is it specifically abortion? Is it uh, liberty? Is it autonomy? Is it privacy? 
the right is grounded in the liberty component of the 14th Amendment, Justice Thomas, but I think that it promotes interests in autonomy, bodily integrity, liberty, and equality. And I do think that it is specifically the right to abortion here, the right of a woman to be able to control without the state forcing her to continue a pregnancy, whether to carry that baby to term. Well, it's very interesting if you listen to the debate. And I hope the audience is listening to this because it's like a tennis match. Justice Thomas keeps asking a question about where is the right, what is the right, what is it founded on in the Constitution? And the lawyer really just throws out a bunch of words uh, surrounding liberty. She can't focus in specifically on where the language is. It's just that it's founded in liberty, but it has these impacts on other parts of the Constitution that are more general uh, comments about privacy or uh, autonomy or the rights of somebody to control their own body, uh, none of which are part of the the Ten Amendments uh, to the Constitution, our Bill of Rights. So he's going to keep coming back to this until he gets an answer, which ultimately I don't think he does. But he comes back at the very last here and tries to clarify why he uh, needs an answer that's much more specific than what the lawyers are providing, because they seem to be focusing just on abortion, and he can't quite see where that is in the Constitution. So let's listen to the final exchange between Justice Thomas and the lawyer. I understand we're talking about abortion here, but what is confusing is that we, if, if we were talking about the Second Amendment, I know exactly what we're talking about. If we're talking about the Fourth Amendment, I know what we're talking about because it's written, it's there. What specifically is the right here that we're talking about? Well, Justice Thomas, I think that the court in those other contexts with respect to those other amendments has had to articulate what the text means and the bounds of the constitutional guarantees. And it's done so through a variety of different tests that implement First Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights, Fourth Amendment rights. So I don't think that there is anything unprecedented or anomalous about the right that the court articulated in Rowan Casey and the way that it implemented that right by defining the scope of the liberty interest uh, by reference to viability and providing that that is the moment when the balance of interest tips and when the state can act to prohibit a woman from from getting an abortion based on its interest in protecting the fetal life at that point. So the right specifically is abortion? It's the right of a woman prior to viability to control whether to continue with a pregnancy, yes. Thank you. So there you have it. Justice Thomas gets the answer he was trying to uh, pull out of that lawyer that it is the right to abortion that she is claiming is within the Constitution in the 14th Amendment under the uh, provision of liberty. I don't think she made the sale for his vote because that is pretty much a stretch, but that is what was determined in Roe v. Wade and is a good reason why Justice Thomas is probably going to vote for the Mississippi law and likely try as much as possible to overturn entirely Roe v. Wade and Casey because What was just described by the lawyer uh, is not in the Constitution as I interpret the questions and Justices Thomas's uh, previous positions on abortion and um, being pro-life. As further proof of Justice Thomas's concerns about Roe v. Wade, here is a very short summary, I think, of his core 
position and major concern. Uh, this is the only uh, constitutional right that involves the taking of a life. So let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back to continue with this discussion of pro-life versus pro-choice and what's going on in the Supreme Court of the United States to make a determination on a case that's in front of it right now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearm liquidation service at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio, and this is the final segment on talking about the Supreme Court debate and discussion on the uh, pro-life versus pro-choice with the case from Mississippi. And it's a fascinating discussion uh, in the Supreme Court, and we've heard that in the earlier sessions. Now, on this last segment, I want to talk specifically about um, Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan and their ideas and questions uh, to the lawyers making the case for Mississippi uh, so that our audience can see and understand the perspective of the other side, because these two justices clearly, along with Breyer probably, will vote uh, against the Mississippi law and in favor of retaining uh, Roe versus Wade and the Casey uh, decision that outlined uh, an issue called viability, because Roe really didn't say anything other than women have a right uh, to abortions. Uh, The Casey case actually came down to a term called a viability standard. The viability standard is can the fetus exist outside of the womb? And that can involve new science, new technologies, Um, And that's going to be questioned uh, by some of these justices. It also is a matter that under current law, uh, the court has held um, that you cannot ban abortions before about the 23rd or 24th weeks of a pregnancy, because that is the point at which most uh, scientists and physicians have said the fetus is viable. So, There's going to be a question as to whether science has changed since uh, the Casey ruling. But now let's listen to the justice asking questions about the viability standard and whether that is something that's been accepted by the population, whether that has changed or not. So let's listen to Justice Sotomayor on this issue. What hasn't been at issue in the last 30 years is the line 
that Casey drew a viability. The right of a woman to choose, the right of to control her own body, has been clearly set for uh, since Casey and never challenged. You want us to reject that line of viability and adopt something different. Let me jump in here because the next thing that Justice Sotomayor jumps in with is the idea that nothing has really changed um, and there's nothing being proposed to change around viability or that medicine has changed or anything else. So let's listen to the lawyer's response on what's changed uh, since those earlier rulings. Uh, Justice Sotomayor, maybe I can, I can highlight two. Uh, Casey gave one paragraph to the workability of Roe. It then adopted the undue burden standard, which is perhaps the most unworkable standard in American law. It gave about three paragraphs, if memory serves, to reliance, which doesn't account for uh, the last 30 years and the changes that have occurred since Casey. Um, it, it, it gave a brief factual view to things that have changed since Roe. Those, of course, uh, are not going to take account of the last 30 years of advancements in medicine, science, all of those things. So now the court is getting into a good discussion. Sotomayor is right on target with saying that, okay, if we can get past the stare decisis, and there's been a case that stare decisis is not an absolute. Now we're talking about the real issue of this case and abortion. That is viability, which is a standard that the Supreme Court has adopted with the Casey uh, decision. So now what is viability? What does it mean? And has it changed because uh, modern-day science means that uh, fetuses are more available to continue life outside the womb? Is that true or not true? Um, are there new technologies developing? And they really didn't get into this issue of, well, what about um, life that can be born in a uh, Petri dish and, and can continue to grow outside the womb or implanted in another womb? of another person and grow there. So let's listen to uh, the next question that Sotomayor has, which I think is really valuable around uh, changes in medicine. Advancements in medicine. I think it's a, an advancement in, in knowledge and concern about such things as uh, fetal pain, what we know the child is doing and looks like and is fully human you know, from a very early... In, in regular cases courts decide whether science fits the Daubert standard. Um, obviously, the, under the Daubert standard, the minority of people, a, a gross minority of doctors, who believe fetal pain exists before 24, 25 weeks, it's a huge minority, and one not well-founded in science at all. So, um, I don't see how that really adds anything to the discussion. That a small fringe of doctors believe that pain could be experienced before a cortex is formed doesn't mean that there's been that much of a difference since Casey. Now here I think it's important for the other side, people like myself, to understand that the lawyer is kind of giving up this position that it is a small minority of physicians of um, the medical community that believes that um, there is an importance to the reflex issues of a fetus. 
So the answer here you'll see kind of goes in a little different direction and doesn't challenge the Sotomayor's comment about uh, uh, physicians. We we pointed out as an example, Your Honor, of where Roe and Casey uh, improperly preclude states from taking account for these things, and they should be able to be concerned about the about a fact of uh, a, a an unborn life being poked and then recoiling. In- now, I want the audience to listen very carefully to the next segment because it may have been the one segment, the one area of questioning of Sotomayor that really went over the line for many people who are in favor of a pro-life position of the court and the elimination of Roe v. Wade and Casey. And this is where she talks about whether or not um, a reflex action by a fetus is like the reflex of a dead person. You know, obviously a dead person is not going to recover and turn into a life form uh, that can lead a fulfilled activity of family and life and all the work, job, community efforts, whereas a fetus is ultimately going to grow into a live person. Um, so two totally different situations, but it's very interesting how the extreme view of Sotomayor comes through in this questioning. I think she really loses her case, and she's not convincing other judges uh, with this line of um, of logic that she has. But let's listen to what she says. Virtually every state defines a brain death as death. Yet the literature is filled with episodes of people who are completely and utterly brain dead responding to stimuli. Um, it, there's about 40% of dead people who, if you touch their feet, the foot will recoil. There are spontaneous acts by dead brain people. So I don't think that a response to, uh, by a fetus necessarily proves that there's a sensation of pain or that there's consciousness. So I go back to my question of what has changed in science to show that the viability line is not a real line, that a fetus cannot survive. And I think that's what both courts below said, that you had no experts say that there is any viability before 23 to 24 months. So notice what Sotomayor is doing here. She's saying if the viability standard um, is is not appropriate, the 23 to 24 weeks, which is the science um, uh, point at which uh, a fetus become vi- can, can become viable outside the womb. She's trying to say if you move that up to a level of consciousness where you have some reflex action, that that's not scientifically based and that there is evidence that people who don't have any um, uh, any cerebral cortex or the ability to have consciousness um, is not there. So that was the standard she's trying to set up as a straw man to say, well, then therefore you got to keep uh, viability. But listen to the reaction and response of the lawyer pulling it back to the inappropriateness of the viability standard, not falling for the trap of trying to get into a consciousness uh, standard. 
And what I'd say, say is this, Justice Sotomayor, is that the fundamental problem with viability, it's not really something that rests on, on science so much. It's that it, viability is not tethered to anything in the Constitution, in history, or tradition. It's a quintessentially legislative line. A legislature could think that viability makes sense as a, as a place to draw the line, but it's quite reasonable for a legislature to draw Counsel, the line there's elsewhere. so much that's not in the Constitution. And here in Casey and in Rome, the Court said there is inherent in our structure that there are certain personal decisions that belong to individuals and the states can't intrude on them. We've recognized them in terms of the religion parents will teach their children. We've recognized it in, um, in their ability to educate at home if they choose. They just have to educate them. We have recognized that sense of privacy in people's choices about whether to use contraception or not. We've recognized it in their right to choose who they're going to marry. I fear none of those things are written in the Constitution. They have all been discerned from the structure of the Constitution. So now we're getting to the real issue of, was, is the Constitution a living document that the justices can interpret however they want and add new rights and privileges? Or do you need to find something in the Constitution if it's not there as a right granted by God or something that the federal government should uh, take control of? It should go back to the states, which is an ultimate argument of the, this Mississippi case. So let's listen to the lawyer's response that, None of this about abortion or viability is in the Constitution. Your Honor, they did not deduce those from the structure of the Constitution. They, they pointed to the 14th Amendment and, and reasoned that um, privacy in Roe, lib- autonomy and similar values in Casey led to a right to abortion. That's not how this Court traditionally does things, even, including in the vast run of cases that Your Honor ran through. The Court looks to history and tradition, and here those decisively reject the proposition. Chief Justice Roberts seems to have the last word on this issue in the interchange with the lawyer saying that viability has never been uh, a part of Roe or a part of Casey. So why is it accepted as the standard? Listen to this exchange. It's most important if viability is the core of Roe, as previous uh, justices have said. Uh, was I, I know what it said about viability in Roe, but was viability an issue in the case? Um, my understanding is no. I mean, the, the law there was uh, didn't have a viability. Uh, in his papers, Justice Blackman said that the viability line was actually was dicta. I, I think, and I'd, I'd add, Your Honor, Justice Blackman, and in, in I think as well his papers pointed out the arbitrary nature of it. And and then in Casey, Casey said that that was the core principle or the central principle in Roe, viability. But was viability at issue in Casey? I don't think it was squarely at issue, Your Honor. So, audience, there you have it. Arguments from both sides presented logically from their point of view. You can agree or disagree, but it's important, I think, for people to understand where the other side is coming from. So I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you've learned some things. I hope your position has been solidified by understanding what the other side believes. Please join us again next week on America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman signing off for Healthcare Insight. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.